Welcome to the 34th episode of Bioboard.com, the podcast for all those involved in designing, developing and running websites on a daily basis. My name's Paul Barrett. And my name is Marcus Lillington. And this is the second take, <laughs> because certain people didn't turn up the volume. Well, no, I turned it down thinking I didn't want that volume up, but there you go. Oh, well then, Mum. I've so, already told you that I didn't get much sleep last night. You're feeling sorry for yourself today, um, aren't you? Mistakes are going to happen. Yeah. I'm going to say things I'm going to regret. We're still I'm not going to press the right button. We're still I'm going to interrupt you all the time. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, we've got too much in today's show. Yeah. Banter. This is going to be the longest podcast ever. ever. So, um, so it probably won't now, so that'll be I know. 43 minutes, 27 seconds. Yeah, but I, I think we could be we could be well topping the hour mark, especially if we carry on discussing that we're going to be topping the hour mark and making it even longer. So we apologise in advance for hammering your bandwidth, because we are, you have now used up your entire monthly allowance <laughs> of downloads <laughs> in one podcast. Okay, so we've got a couple of housekeeping issues that we need to cover before we get onto the main show. I'll make these as quick as possible. First of all, thank you very much for those that have entered the logo competition to come up with an alternative logo for the BioagWorld.com site, as there isn't really one of any substance other than the word BioagWorld.com. Well, all the best logos are just the name, but hey. That is true, actually. Yeah. A lot of them are. But also, there's, well, you have to pick a half-decent typeface, which I haven't really done. <laughs> That's true, yeah. So, um, so, yeah, thank you for all of those that have sent in their ideas. Much appreciated. Some good stuff in there. We will be contacting the winner shortly. Um, but uh, don't expect to see the winning logo appear too quickly because we want to save it all up and do it in one big hit once we've kind of sorted out a few bits and pieces. I've got to work out how to crowbar the logo into my existing site um, because I can't be bothered to redesign it at this stage. I don't have time. So uh, also, thank you very much, moving on from that. Thank you very much for those that have um, sent in their various interpretations of what the K in CMYK stands for. Oh, yeah. They didn't send it to me. No. no one likes to Nobody me. loves you, Marcus. <laughs> so if you want to tell Marcus you love him, write to Marcus at boagor.com. So, so our um, interpretation was that it was black. <laughs> Is that <laughs> it? Black. Uh-huh. Uh, no. There were some people that agreed with us, but not many. Right. There were some people that said it was be- the reason it was a K is because the B was already used up on RGB. That's rubbish. Yeah, I'm of course not. It is. That's like well, it, it, if you're going for an acronym of any sort, well, we can't use the letter A. Sorry, that's already been used <laughs> yes. in USA. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, come on, it, they're a bit more related than that. But there was also a substantial number of people that had the intelligence to actually just search on it on Wikipedia, which is what we should have done, really. Blimey. I know. Radical stuff. Actually Karen looking talk, on the Karen internet talking. to find oh. out something. 
Oh, you're now going to look it up on Wikipedia, yeah. which I think is one of the slowest sites around, so it could take a while. Yeah. Well, just opening the browser while you're recording audio is normally... Well, yeah, it's still, now, not, still not there. We, we, I, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, the audio will now glitch. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Everything grinds to halt. Yeah, so um, uh, those people suggested that it actually stood for key. Is that something to do with printing or something? Yes. Right, okay, cool. It's the key colour. It does ring it's a the, bell. It's the thing that... I, I think it was something along the lines of... Um, that was the base colour against what every, everything else was set for lining. I don't know. I'm going to stop talking now. Why <laughs> so my Oh, sorry. I'm just clicking on cricket. Okay. We Will you stop looking at the cricket results? We're recording podcasts. Right. Um, moving on then. The other thing, some, sometimes things come up in the news or whatever that's, that's web design related that's just worth a quick mention. Um, and the one that I want to mention today is Google Trends. Which, Has this been around for a while? Uh, no, not not Google Trends. It's ringing a bell with me. Yeah, I think you're thinking of, um, yes, well, it's something slightly different. Let me explain. Anyway, what Google Trends is. Google Trends gives you the ability to type in a key phrase like Marcus Ellington. Um, very popular phrase. Very I'm popular sure. phrase. And then what it will do is it will return a graph that shows... Um, how many people have searched on Marcus Lillington over a period of time? Okay. You can also then... Okay. Why are you looking like that? So what's the, what are the axes of the graph? So time and... Time and uh, a kind of relative value. Because it does... Yeah, this is one of the downsides of it. It doesn't actually say... 5,600 people have searched on um, Marcus Lillington on this particular date... It just gives you this kind of... Squiggly line. Yeah, squiggly line, basically. (laughs) Okay. You can also go Marcus Lillington, Paul Boag and compare the two um, so you can see which is more popular. You have a high line and a really low line. Yeah, which I guess is what... (laughs) (sighs) Which I guess is where you're getting... You're thinking about that previous thing where there's a little little punch-up. Yeah. Yeah, but that's slightly different because that was based on the number of results that were returned from the search in preference to the number of people that did the search. Actually searched, yeah, okay. So it's slightly different. So there are kind of two problems with this. One is that it um, doesn't provide exact exact numbers. So It would be really useful if it did. It would be very useful. And the other problem that um, it creates is that it's fine if you're doing really broad web, um, search terms like web design. Mm-hmm. But if you're searching on something a bit more specific like um, web design podcasts, it returns no data at all. So it's only got kind of data on the on the top level stuff. But even if you're put, um, searching on, you know, really important keywords like mm-hmm. Biag World, <laughs> it doesn't return anything. So it only does top five instead of top ten yeah, search terms. Yeah, pretty much, you know, so... <laughs> So uh, from a marketing point of view, uh, my initial reaction was, hey, this is really exciting because it can let you track trends um, in keywords and help you to improve things like Google AdWord campaigns and Mm. all of that kind of stuff. And even give you an idea of what you should be writing about on your blog or whatever else. But the reality is, is that it's still pretty beta and it doesn't give you um, specific stats and it doesn't give you... um, data on specific keywords you know low level keywords and let's face it any good google adword campaign is stuffed with really obscure keywords not huge broad ones like web design Mm. um so i'm a bit pants really 
So the only reason I brought it up is everybody else seems to be talking about it and going yay. But I think that's mainly because they're all doing, you know, verses. Yeah, you know, Windows so, versus Mac. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah, right. So on dig.com, there's like hundreds of, oh, look, Macintosh is better than, you know, Windows, etc. Based on a squiggly line. Based on a squiggly line. Okay. So there, there you go. Let's move on. Uh, question time. We have a question today. Okay, it's a big long one, so bear with me. <gasps> okay, big breath. This is from Matt. Do you think the lines should be blurred between browsers and web pages? I am all for this, as I think many browsers are trying to accomplish tasks and features that should be handled in the web page and vice versa. I do think web pages have been a static medium for far too long, and finally we are at the stage where certain tasks and behaviours can be achieved in the page. For example, it's been standard to have a top bar and sidebar and minimal content area in the past. Why can't we maximise the content area and hide the features in the bars and allow Ajax to hide and unhide, unhide such features? That is just one example, but it doesn't seem to be being picked up as often as perhaps it should. I would have thought Ajax is one of the most picked mm. up things at the moment. Let's uh, okay. I think the, maybe he means that particular that particular feature. function. Yeah, it's done on SitePoint.com. They allow you to kind of hide the menu bar and give you more reading space, which I think is a great idea. Obviously, you need to consider um, the kind of usability issues of that, of users understanding how to hide it and how to show it again. Yeah. And also, don't hide it by default, because then they might never find the navigation of your site and obvious but, stuff like that. That's the big one, yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> I guess the, 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 key, um, the key bit of that question was the first paragraph that said, do you think the lines between browser and web pages should be blurred? And I think I have to say no. I think I actually... It's about providing a consistent user experience that um, one of the problems with the web is that every website you go to has a different user interface. Mm -hmm. And I've used this example before, but, you know, imagine if every time you um, were going to record a TV program on your video recorder or your TiVo or whatever it is that you use, that they gave you a different brand Mm -hmm. of recorder to do it on. So every time you'd have to get out that that manual that's been translated from Japanese badly (laughs) um, and try and work out how things work. And that's what it's like on the web. Every website you go to has got a different interface. So the more, in my opinion, that exists within the browser, because the browser is standard, Mm. almost the better. Um, And if anything, I would like to see more of the functionality that we're putting into web pages being moved into the browser. So to give you an example of that, um, it would be really good is if you were providing an alternative um, low vision version of your website, if there was a function within the browser that could automatically identify that um, mm-hmm. and and you could set that as a permanent option that if there's a low ver- vision version, please take me to that by default always. Yeah. You know, and why, why, and then you wouldn't have to have, you know, that that problem of how do I have in the browser (laughs) a big enough button that says, click me if you need the low vision version. Mm. So, so actually I think uh, we need to be careful and that a lot could be in the browser that is in the web page. Also, I think part of the problem for moving some browser functionality into the web page is it's not going to be, again, it's not going to be consistent. So the classic example is when we were talking about flash um, about how things like the back button and print capabilities and that kind of stuff, they can exist, but they only have, they have to exist within the web page. And so mm. they're not consistent, you know, on ev- like every other website. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's cool some of the stuff Ajax is doing, but there's certainly a lot of problems that need overcoming. And yeah, okay, it's fine to, to blur the line to some extent, but 
there are usability concerns. So that would be my answer, I think, to that yeah, question. I have to agree with you there, Paul. I oh, thought it was very well put. Thank you very much. That's not often you agree with No, it isn't. Whatever next. <laughs> okay, so let's move on. So the next section that we do um, uh, every week in this podcast is the Technobuster section. I have to confess I'm beginning to struggle with this section because the idea of this section is that it's something for um, clients and, and stuff that clients need to know or, or may find useful to know that, yeah. that relates to technology um, and needs explaining. So we've done things like validation and um, semantics and all these kinds of things. But I'm beginning to kind of run out of stuff that, that a client might actually want to know. So if you have an idea for um, a, a, a techno buster, then please send it in. Or alternatively, if you think of a new section that could replace this one, then please let us know that as well. So you can send that to paul at com because I'm really beginning to struggle, as you can tell <laughs> by today's techno buster that actually really isn't a techno buster at all. Because I want to talk about... I've got two. You got two, got yeah. then? Cricket and electric guitars. What's that got to do with web design? None at all. You but, just think everybody ought quite, to know about that. Kind of cool things to talk about for a few minutes each podcast. Cricket and electric guitars. <clears throat> okay, please, <laughs> please email Marcus telling him that's a bad idea. Add Marcus at bowagor.com. Uh So no, I'm not going to do that. So yeah, we're going to look at speculative work, which isn't a techno buster at all. This is just designers moaning, but quite rightly so, I think. <laughs> I, I feel like I should just let you rant, to be honest, because you're obviously all wound up and ready to go. Oh, here we go. Right. This it, takes it does take me takes me back. This does to when I used to work in the in in for the in the paper industry. Okay. And used to visit and try and sell my wares, if you like, to all the design agencies in London. All of them, but you know, the, quite a lot of them. And this was the subject every week. For the, really? the design agencies, okay. they just used to moan incessantly about not being paid for pitching. Basically, right? Um, it doesn't apply anywhere near as badly for us, but we do often have to put a lot of effort into into pitches for nothing, yeah. uh, and it's expected. Yeah. Um, the same applies in the print world. Not always, um, and it doesn't always apply to us. But um, if if you're pitching for an agency's work for advertising, that usually means months you know a couple of months of preparation for this pitch yeah uh and it's like three or four agencies going for it one of them wins the gold and everybody else walks away hugely out of pocket yeah um so just to be clear what we're talking about we're talking about um when a client requests from an agency that they provide proposal designs yeah i mean that's much more obviously what we're talking about here is much more defined and specific yes rather than Yes, the print version. But uh, equally, um, basically, a de- the design agency has to put a certain amount of work into producing those designs, etc., yep. etc. Et the the reason that I wanted to raise it is because um, I wanted to kind of suggest that actually requesting speculative work is not always a beneficial idea for you as the the client. Um, it's certainly not a good thing for the web design agency, um, but uh, even for you as a as a client is not the best way of getting a true understanding about the capabilities of the web design agency Absolutely. Um, for a number of reasons. For a start, producing a good design is a collaborative pro- uh, process that happens between um, the, the agency and the client. Um, and the agency needs to have an understanding of the organization, an understanding of their vision and their aims and things like that. 
at the initial stages, at a pitch stage, the agency doesn't have that kind of understanding and isn't doesn't have a clear grasp on the organisation and the organisation's aim. Secondly, a good design should come out of usability testing. There should be a backwards and forwards of testing the design with real end users. And obviously that's not going to happen until the actual work has been um, commissioned. Um, there's also a need to understand the competition and how they present themselves online. And the vast majority of agencies that do speculative design work aren't going to do a complete competitive analysis um, before they produce designs to send to you. There's also um, a need to have a detailed understanding of brand guidelines and other marketing collateral, probably which they won't have at the pitch stage. Um, good design is an iterative process that is refined and evolved through a number of stages and backwards and forwards with the clients. Again, that doesn't happen in the pitch process. Um, and um, also it's about the de uh, design agency having a, a good grasp of external factors that may impact the look and feel. Things like um, accessibility, technology constraints and internal business factors. And again, they're not going to have all of that understanding before they do the initial pitch. So what I would suggest is that actually for clients... The most effective approach is to look at existing examples of design work done by um, the web design company and to talk to existing clients. That's what we, we always encourage clients to well, do. It's, it's worth saying that, I mean, it depends. It's, we're in a nice, easy position here. And what I, I agree 100% with you, Paul, there, and, and I think, I think the, the, the main point of doing speculative design, the, the, the agency is showing off. That's yeah. what they're doing. It's like producing wow, so that, that when might be totally impressive when the client sees it, they go wow, yeah. I like this lot, great. And then actually, it's yeah, like you say, it's it's not a practical design. It's not got any kind of thought behind usability issues, you know, what the target audience wants, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's all about impressing people. However, I have to say, even though impress, imp not, well, not impressing, impressing as people generally, but yeah. impressing that specific client, the people who are going to be selected. Yeah. but we've done it. We did, oh, yeah, we did it we when did. we were young yeah, because you know, we haven't got a, a nice long client list to show people. No. But in the ideal world, it's, it's not the right thing to do. No. Um, and we sh yeah, it should be discouraged. But I mean, my earlier rant was about being paid for doing this work. And sometimes... It does happen sometimes. Yeah, some, some clients we come up and they say, well, you know, we're, this is going out to four or five agencies and you will all be paid for your time. Usually they'll put a cap on it, but just like, you know, I, I've just picked myself up off the floor from being offered it. Yeah, even uh, if it's a, a paltry sum that doesn't cover it, it's, you know, at least they recognise that there is work that goes into this. It's part, it's part of that development process, but I mean, we do a lot of work within the public sector and they've always got, you know, long sentences of legalese saying you're not going to get paid for this yeah. whatever, matey. Yeah. Um, but then saying that, the public sector are normally the best at understanding the argument that we've just given about you don't really want this. What you want is to study what we've done already and talk to our um, our existing clients yeah. about, about working with us and what we do when we, when we go through that design process. Also, I think if you're a, an agency listening to this, um, I think it's worth saying that you kind of got to be a bit brave about it because mm. I had a little bit of a push a while back about this in Headscape. And... I'm, I kind of was hesitant about that myself and it, it, it was kind of so to some extent it was easy for me to push it because I'm not the one that writes the proposal and sends the stuff out you know that's your job well, what I, but what I do what I, what I do now is I will again it's been a little bit up front a bit brave and ring up the client and say 
will it affect your decision if we don't deliver you any yeah uh, and you know any mock-up designs they every single person i've asked this asked this said they'll say they always say no not the slightest doesn't come into it and it's, it's interesting like, that you know, isn't it because that's not at all the perception we have do you do that even when they specifically request it within the brief uh, i haven't had one yet oh right so i'll wait and see all, all of the the proposals i've written lately and when i'm talking like the last 10 none of them have asked for it that's fascinating. So, yeah, normally there would have been a time when we would have provided that by default. Well, um, certain clients shall re- remain nameless, but I can remember you doing twelve designs for one. Yeah, twelve different yeah. page designs. We didn't flip him win we it either. Ah, <laughs> there you go. Anyway, <laughs> so there you go. So I, I, I think we're really struggling to say that that's a techno buster. Maybe a jargon buster. Yeah, speculative I mean, it's, it's, work. It's certainly, well, it's an issue. It's, it's an a, issue. It, well, it, it, Perhaps we have to do an issue section. Issues we have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We ought to keep them just the web design just issues, rant. maybe. Rant. <laughs> the rant section. So but if it, you've got any... Um, oh, sorry. You've got I was going to say, it, it, it runs quite nicely into, into today's main subject as well. It does, actually. So I'll give you... I'll, I'll, I'll let you have that one. You can have it. I'm there really go. nice today. You are. You're oh, in a happy uh, mood. It's lack of sleep. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're, yeah. I'll pass you, out at some point. So, yeah, if you've got any suggestions, um, send them to uh, Paul at burgerall.com any suggestions for techno busters we can do or an alternative section let's move on okay so our main feature for today um well when i advertised it last week i think i said that it was about the role of the client and their responsibilities but Mm -hmm. actually i've kind of broadened it out a bit and we're going to talk about the role of clients and agencies and how they interact with one another and how they kind of sit alongside each other so hopefully that will be useful and worth doing. Um, I guess the first thing to say is this is kind of a little bit been... I'm in a bit of a difficult situation because in the last week I recorded an interview with Andy Budd, mm-hmm. um, who, well, you'll find out who Andy Budd is next week, but it's an author of some pretty cool stuff and um, a, and a speaker that speaks at you know, various things. And he's a very cool guy. Um, so we've interviewed him for next week's show, and he kind of touched on some of this stuff um, in his interview. So we might end up repeating ourselves a little bit, but um, if we do, then bear with us. Okay, so I think it's fair to say that getting a relationship between client and agency right is kind of vital to the success of any website project. Marcus is nodding sagely. It's, I mean, I've just written one on here. This is why Boeg World started. Yeah. I think. Yeah. That's why this podcast is here. Yeah. It's all to do with... Because we've had some, not not horrible, but some verging on unpleasant uh, exchanges with clients in the past where they literally haven't understood what they were agreeing to. Yeah. Um, and Which is which I'm going to come on to and suggest yeah. actually is our fault. Yeah. You know, more than it is theirs. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, yeah, it, it's vital to the success of a project. Um, and I, I think... The crux of the problem is is that both designers um, and clients have different expectations at the outset of a project. Oh, yes. And partly that's due to the fact that there's no kind of predefined model of how it works. Uh, Annie Budden in next week's interview talks about um, architects and building houses and that kind of stuff. And he actually makes a really good point. I won't repeat his point. But kind of the spin-off of what he was saying really is that when you get house built... 
you know the process. You know that you go to an architect. The architect draws up plans. Those plans are then built. And there's a predefined. It always works the same way. It always goes along the same lines. With that, with the with the web or web design, there's no kind of such model that there. You know, you can have so many different ways of approaching it from a kind of super super deluxe agency, a highly skilled agency with lots of expertise who normally pay a fortune for where you basically go to them and say, these are the business problems we've got, solve them for me, please, using the web. And that's about as much influence to a kind of getting a freelance web designer on that you need to project manage and handhold and, you know, and and kind of point in the right direction the whole time. So it's kind of such a spectrum. Um, That's true. And the problem is, is that that, that, um, that that creates problems because the client... Um, and the designer don't necessarily know what that relationship is and who's going to be doing what on it. The relationship is often dependent um, on the the level that the agency is at, if that makes sense. So if you're um, a client, um, you need to have an idea of what that agency is capable of um, providing for you. So as I said, the less skilled agencies are going to need more hand-holding, while the larger agencies are going to, um, you know, the agencies that have got project managers, information architectures, cop- uh, um, copywriters, etc., etc., um, you know, they're going to be able to get on with the job pretty much by themselves without your interference. So it's about getting the right agency for the way that you want to work as the client. So if you want, if you're the kind of person that wants to get your hands dirty in a project, you want to micromanage, you want to have a big influence over the design and you don't want to pay for an expensive agency, then, you know, a freelancer or a small agency is the way to go for you. Mm-hmm. But if you're busy, um, busy with other projects, um, you've got a lot on your plate and just want to, you've got certain business requirements that need to be met and you just want to hand it over, then you're going to want, um, you're not going to want an inexperienced agency, you're going to want a larger organisation. Yeah, because that's when the project just stalls. Exactly. More often than not. Yeah. <clears throat> So it's about, you know, not paying for skills you're not using. There's nothing worse than paying for a high-end web design agency and then wasting those skills because you're you're managing it yourself. There is a certain amount of whether, you, whether you're happy to hand over particularly design as well. That's, you know, a lot, a lot of clients we've had, again, they all shall remain nameless, who think... They know what they want from a design point of view and aren't prepared to trust particularly you and your expertise. But uh, I, my argument would be in those situations, that actually, they're, then they're wasting their money going with us. Mm-hmm. Because if, if they have got a picture in their head of what they want or they know what they want from the design, they should go to somebody which, is, frankly, is cheaper. Yeah. You know, well, often it's, I, I know what I don't want. Is the, <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> it's, it's the, the universal it's the problem. Yes. So, so as I said, Andy Budd has covered some of this stuff um, in his interview, and I don't want to go across it in too much detail. But basically, he, he's proposing that in an ideal world, um, clients shouldn't even be listening to this podcast. This podcast shouldn't exist. Well, yeah, maybe eventually, eventually but it's a, well, it, they would be educated somewhere else then. No, what I'm saying is that, that actually they should, or what Andy's suggesting is that actually they almost shouldn't need to know this stuff. They shouldn't need to know about um, you know, all the kind of things that we cover, about web standards or, um, or the, the, the issues of design or all, all those kinds of stuff. Once they've got themselves a good agency, the agency should be dealing with that. 
Yeah, but it's part. It's, I disagree with that a little bit because it's about uh, when people are ch- when a uh, client is choosing an agency, they need. They, it's, yeah, it's okay. pretty useful to know this. Or they're trying to sell it to the director. Yeah, you know, to be why fair you to should him. go pay more, etc. Yeah, I mean, he didn't actually he didn't actually say that this podcast shouldn't exist because yeah. he's too polite for that. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm kind of exaggerating it for effect. Anyway, you can yeah. listen to it next week. Yep. But uh, the principle being that that really. Um, at the moment, the majority of clients are having to, to understand too much of the web design process because web design agencies aren't really pulling their weight in some, you know, some senses. And they're not they're not guiding and helping um, the client to, to, you know, through the process. And they're not solving the business problems for them. They're almost saying, well, I can produce you a website. I can build the HTML and I can do the design. But what do you want? Yeah, you know, in some ways, it should be the client going I've to the design agency that I want to increase sales, mm. or you know, I want to achieve this, or we've got a, a problem with too many people ringing our support line, or and then the agency suggests, well, the web could solve it by producing frequent asked questions on yeah. your site or uh, knowledge base or whatever else. So, you know, which I think has got a lot of a lot of. There's a lot of truth in that. Yeah, I, th- I think, but particularly the smaller agency will have. Well, we can do you a small site, a middle-sized site, or a big site. Not, not we can develop the right yes. bespoke thing for you. Yeah, um, that certainly is the case. I mean, maybe it's not as bad as it used to be, but, but it's all be- it's all because it's such a young thing. You know, yeah, web design is new. Yeah, it still is new. Mm. Um, so. To say that the client shouldn't have to know all this, I'm not sure I agree with that. I can understand where you're coming from, but in a more mature um, industry, the client would know all the stuff they need to know, and, and clients have known it for years, and they'd learn it at university probably. Yeah. Yeah, um, okay. Fair know? enough. Yes, I know where you're coming from. But anyway, it's, to some extent, it's a hypothetical discussion because the real-world reality of where we're at now is that for picking a design agency, you need to know quite a lot of stuff. You do. Um, and then even when you get them, you know, uh, there are a lot of design agencies out there that are going to need hand-holding, cajoling and pushing and, and all of the rest of the things. So what I wanted to do is provide a little bit of advice. I'm going to split it into two. I'm going to do advice for clients about dealing with agencies and advice for agencies about dealing with clients. So we'll cool. do advice for clients first. Okay. Okay, the first thing I would say is that recognise, and it's, this almost seems so blindingly obvious, but there have been many occasions where the client hasn't realised this. Recognise that you will have to input in some way to this website in order to, for it to succeed. It is not enough to say to a web design company, go and make me a website. And recognise how much of your time that's going to take. Yes. And add that onto the timescales that the, that the agency gives you. Exactly. <laughs> so there, are, there is going to have to be a lot of interaction between yourself and the agency. The agency is going to ask you a lot of annoying questions. <laughs> um, they're going to have to in order to understand their business, your business, even if they are one of the super deluxe top of the range, we can solve all your business problems type agency. You're still going to be pestered (laughs) with questions and things like that and don't underestimate the amount of time that that is going to take and also if you're responsible which you're probably going to be for the content of the website don't Mm -hmm. underestimate how long it's going to take to prepare that content and put it together 
clients often forget that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I mean, there are exceptions. I've got a client at the moment who is my new perfect client. Moved on from Nats. Sorry, Matt. Mm-hmm. He was our, our perfect client before, but we've got a new perfect client at the moment. Um, Who's your new perfect I'm not. I'm not going to mention a name because it could all go tits up before the end of the project. <laughs> but if it doesn't, at the moment they're doing really well. And they said to us in the kickoff meeting, they said, would it help if we provided you with 99% of the content right now up Ooh, front? No, no, yes. So they're we have very... two perfect clients at the moment because that's a different one. Oh, right. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's cool. But a lot of clients don't have all the content up front. They aren't ready to go, and which is fine, but they need to schedule in time for that and realize that's going to impact on the time schedule and delivery for mm. the web design company as well. Um, and it's not a matter of just throwing the agency um, print content and expecting them to rehash it for the web, unless, of course, you're paying for copywriting services, um, in which case you can do that. Yeah. So there, there is a lot of work involved in preparing content and that you need to be careful you don't underestimate that. Try and avoid getting involved in subjective design decisions. Your, your notes say don't get involved. See, look, you've mentioned already. <laughs> I've, already I've already given in. Um, yeah, don't get involved in subjective design decisions. You're paying this agency a lot of money. And one of the reasons you're paying the agency a lot of money is for their design skills and knowledge. I, I, I'd like to say that I agree with you and you're right. But if I had another company and I was... I don't know, commissioning print brochure or a new website, I would not be able to go, go on then. I couldn't. <laughs> I'd have to have an opinion and sign off on it. I just couldn't do it. But you're, you're right. But I'm, you're not saying, I'm not <laughs> saying that they shouldn't have sign off on it. What I'm saying is is that design is a horribly objective thing, a mm. subjective thing. And that uh, yeah, your opinion yeah, you're right, but isn't going to always be be relevant you're not always, you know, people go, the, the argument you often get from clients is, oh, well, I'm an average Joe user, mm. so therefore my opinion counts about the design. You're not an average it's Joe user. You're somebody, not. you are invested in the business. You're invested in the, the organization. Your opinion is not, you know, uh, objective, you know. So try not to get involved too much in the design. Okay, yeah, you, you're going to want sign off and that's fair enough. But don't start micromanaging it. Um, don't start picking over stuff. Don't start saying, you know, oh, can you try that on the left? Or can we change that shade of green? Just don't do it. No. If you've got concerns about the design, fine. Then use a test them. Use test that design. Yeah, I was going to say, if you want to get average Joe, do usability testing. Exactly. But don't get into kind of uh, 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 getting too heavily into into the design. That is the design agency's job. But always be the advocate for the business requirements and needs of your organisation. Yeah. You'll often find that you're in some senses you're almost setting up an area of conflict because the web design company um, one of the, one of their primary objectives will be user goals and you know making sure users can achieve what they want and yours should be business objectives and sometimes those two come into conflict and that's fair enough and that that's part of the compromising process of web design but you should always be standing up for what your business needs are um and making sure you're constantly asking um 
will I get return on investment for for adding this piece of functionality or adding this cool bit of technology or or whatever it is? You're always challenging it against the plumb line of of what the, your business requirements are. So that should be very much your your goal and your objective as a client. But be willing to compromise and be willing to take the agency's advice over stuff. You know they will have done many 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 websites. Um, and they will have experienced similar problems to yours. Mm. I know every client likes to believe that their website is unique, and <laughs> yes, well, it, is. Extent it is. Yeah, yeah but... but but there will also be other similarities, and there will be stuff you can learn from other websites. And allow the agency to advise you on that, and recognise that website uh, web design is a comp- constant compromise process between design accessibility usability business objectives user objectives etc etc so the list goes on absolutely but most of all clearly state your expectations up front and don't presume the agency will work in the way that you expect them to we've already said that there are lots of different ways of working with web design and my final piece of advice (laughs) is remember that the customer is not always right. (laughs) Um, You know, ultimately you're paying for the project and ultimately you should get what you want. But seriously think about what it is that you want. What you want is the website to make your organization money or to achieve your business objectives. Yeah, whatever the objective is, and that may not be the cool site that you want it to be. No, it might be something... To show your mates. Yeah. (laughs) Or to show the the sales director, look at the cool new site. Or even what you think. It might not even be what you think will achieve the business objectives. Mm. As long as the agency can back up what they're doing, and they can explain why they think their approach will be more effective in meeting your business objectives, Mm. fair enough. Exactly. Okay, so I've I've kind of, you know... I've kind of slapped clients around a bit and and told them what they should be doing, what they shouldn't. I think as agencies, mine, we've got a lot to answer for as well. And I think we need a good telling off as well. Uh, Yeah, they're kind of like the opposites of nearly all the ones you've just done for clients, aren't they? Well, no, yes and no. I I think actually there, there is more of an obligation here on agencies than there are on clients. It's our job to provide a good service to our our clients ultimately Um, if there is conflict if there are problems if there are disagreements it's our job to resolve them so the first thing I would say is establish up front the client's expectations and the way they wish to work so in the last one I said you know make sure you clearly express the ways you wish to work notice here I'm not saying educate the client into the way that you work this should be about you accommodating the way that they want to operate and they want to work within their organization. Um, and if, they're, if for some reason that way of working isn't going to work for whatever reason, it's your job to convince and explain to the client how, how, we should, how it should be done and why it should be done and not just to throw your toys out the pram. <laughs> I am talking as much to myself here. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> I, really? I can hear all of the cli- our clients that listen to this going, hypocrite. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so remember, it's your responsibility to educate and inform the client about what works best on the web. You need to explain to them what's going on and not just get huffy because they don't instantly understand the way that you work or aren't willing to accept it blindly. Recognize that there are sometimes factors that influence web design decisions that are just 
beyond your control and might not make sense to you, but there are damn good reasons. I'll give you an example. Um, I had a client recently, and the same client I mentioned earlier, my perfect client, yeah. all right? Another reason why this is they are a perfect client is because they say, look, you're the designer, you do it. We're not going to make any decisions about design at all. We've got some usability testing built in to do, you know, design yeah. and, uh, and user testing. So, so that's that's cool. But the, the, but the, but basically, we're not going to start saying we prefer lime green, etc. So they said all this, and the next breath they said because we had to do speculative oh, work. But. Yeah, <laughs> we had to do speculative work for this project, and uh, as part of the speculative work I did, um, we did um, some black and white photo. I used black and white imagery just for reasons I won't bore you with now. So in the next breath after saying we're not going to influence the design decision, they said, but don't mm-hmm. use black and white pictures. And so I was sitting there thinking, why not? <laughs> Strange yeah. request. And so I said, you know, what's, what's the problem with black, black and white imagery? Expecting them to say, oh, I don't like it. But it actually wasn't. It was the fact that they're a big organisation and for years, they were everybody within this organization were moaning about the fact that they were always cheap on print material and they never produced the nice glossy color brochures, but it was always a kind of cheap photocopied black and white rubbish. Right. So within their institution, there was a, a deep-rooted dislike of black and white imagery. Mm. Doesn't make sense. Um, it, you know, there's no business reason for it. It's totally unjustifiable. But when it actually comes down to it, the client is not going to be able to sell the project internally. And there's nothing you can do about it. Mm. She, you know, well, she... there is. It depends on how... It depends on the, the level of the relationship between the client and the agency. If you could go up there and speak to everyone and persuade them that the right thing to do, and you had a really good reason for, for using black and white images, then maybe, maybe it's possible. But you have, to, but what you, you have to draw the line there and say yeah, it's not worth it. But we won't use black and white Exactly. Images. Because what you've got, it goes back to what I said earlier about the, the primary thing the client needs to be monitoring is return on investment. Yeah. Is it really worth the client paying us as a design agency to go all the way up there? Because this client is quite a long way away. Mm. Um, and spend, you know, a day there would have to probably stay overnight as well because it's so far away. I'm racking my brains to think of an example where it might be the case. You know, you have to have the, the navigation on the bottom of the page, yeah. for example. Okay. Yeah. But in that case, that has a bigger impact yeah. on, on the design and will significantly undermine the site. Yeah. Whether you have black and white imagery or not, you're going, well, the return on investment's negligible. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. really matter. It's easy to change to change it. So it's all about compromise, I guess, is, is what I'm saying, and recognising there are sometimes things are outside of your control. The bottom line in all of this is just make sure that the two parties talk to each other a lot, ask questions of each other, uh, the agency lays out what it's going to do, statements of work we've talked about in the past, but maybe, I mean, this is something that I'm kind of talking to myself now, a bit more detail on how we actually manage projects, what to expect mm. you know, on a day-to-day or a week-by-week basis. Um, and this is what you're going to get, and this is what we're going to expect of you. Because we do a lot, we do put a lot of detail into what we're going to deliver to you. Yeah. But the actual process, we do cover it, but maybe it's a little bit, bit thin. Yeah. So, so there we go. That's done then, Marcus. Yeah, I'll all just up, round it all up. You've got three more bullets, I think. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. There's also a responsibility to persuade the client that you, uh, your design approach is a good one. Um, designers have got this habit. I, obviously not me 
but every other designer on the planet has this habit of throwing the toys out the pram and crying when it when a client doesn't like their design but a part of pitching even once you've won the work part of pitching a design is persuading the client that it's a good approach and explaining the reasons behind that approach um, and to remove as much of the subjectiveness from the process as possible Um, And finally, I would say, um, as advice for agencies, that the client is ultimately paying for you to produce a good website. So don't be afraid to stand your ground over stuff. That there are, you know, sometimes if the the website is going to be compromised by a client and a client's decision, stand your ground and, and fight your corner for a bit. But you do ultimately need to know when to back down. And and the client will respect you for standing you uh, you know uh, standing your ground and fighting your corner, but you're going to piss them off if you do it for too long. And it, that's a fine line to know you know where to go, and it, it's a tricky one, and you kind of need to learn how to do it. Just before we wrap up this bit on um, uh, on the the relationship between client and agency, I just wanted to say something about. Site evolution, which is a particular pet subject that I I have, that I actually think the whole model of client agency relationship needs to change. It needs to change from a short term contractual arrangement to rebuild a website into an ongoing relationship that constantly evolves and changes your site. So at the moment, the the model goes something like this: that. Um, you build a website. You get sorry. You get a web design agency. You build a website. It then sits and stagnates for three years, and then they go, "Oh, need mm. to rebuild our website. It's got in terrible state." So they hire a web designer, pump a whole load of new money into it, and pretty much redesign it from scratch, start again. And then in three years' time, they do the whole process again, and so on and so on and so on. Now, actually, what I I would suggest a better model is, is that you have a a design agency that's constantly or much more regularly making adjustments and evolutions to your site. They're improving it and tweaking it and moving it on the whole time so that you don't have this gargantuan effort of doing a redesign every three years. Mm. Um, It is better from a cash flow point of view because you're drip feeding money into something in preference to huge investments every three years. Um, it's better from a, a marketing point of view because you can constantly go back to people and say, hey, look at this new feature that I've added to the website. Mm. Um, it's it's better for the, the relationship between client and agency because they get to understand each other more and they, they're working together uh, continually. And it, it it's just a more sensible way to work. So I just wanted to kind of chuck that in at the end. So that about wraps up our main feature. Okay. So our next section is the web resource review. And um, this particular week, I I want to move away from websites. We've done a lot of websites recently. Mm-hmm. And this week to mention a book that has just come out by a guy called Ian Lloyd. And it's called Build Your Own Websites the Right Way Using HTML and CSS. What a nice snappy title. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. He needs to work on his title a bit. <laughs> Um, just say a little bit about Ian. Ian um, is well known for running a website called Accessify.com. I knew the name. Yeah, yes. there you go. Um, and I've had a bit of contact with him in the past. He's a great guy, certainly knows his stuff. He's passionate about accessibility. Um, yeah, and it, he's produced his book. And the book is 
came about because he one day I think he was hanging around in PC World or whatever. Um, as you do when yeah. you're a geek. <laughs> um, What's that little thing on the computer? And he, he picked up the books about HTML that are on the shelves about how to build websites, you know, dummies, guides yeah, to yeah. building websites, all that kind of stuff, and was kind of horrified at the fact that they all taught horrendous ways to build websites, very old-fashioned, very out-of-date, not very accessible, yeah, right. etc. And that there's no... In schools they do as well. Yeah, I know. Mm. They still teach, teach table-based design. I was thinking about changing the strap line for Bioworld to... You know, we say, by well, the podcast, but mm. for those designing, developing, and running websites, let's think about changing it to every time you de- uh, you use a table for design, we kill a kitten. <laughs> what about that? <laughs> anyway. Kittens and little lambs. Kittens and little and puppies, lambs. of course. Yes. So, anyway, that's off the point. Uh, <laughs> yes. Good so, point, though. I like that one. Yeah, Can we start on. that one? No. <laughs> that should go on a t shirt. Yes, really? definitely. Um, uh, yes. So, cool. so, basically, he decided to. To write a web design book that taught you from absolute basics, from knowing nothing about HTML or CSS or anything else, of how to build a website, but doing it the right way, as his snappy title says. Um, So apparently it's an excellent book. I haven't got a copy of it. I haven't seen it. But I'm always getting asked, you know, how do I get into web design? How do I learn it? Seems like this book is a good place to start. You can get it from Amazon. Um, So it's Ian Lloyd's book. Build your own website the right way using HTML and CSS. Check it out now. Okay, so that about wraps it up for this week. Hopefully we're we're less than an hour. We'll see when we uh, add it all up at the end. I stick it all together with glue. Yes. So if you've got any comments on what we've been saying today, um, any horror stories about um, the client and agency, uh, um, yes. Mm-hmm. Clients and agencies go bad, you know, or whatever. Oh, but that, yeah, that's yes, please. Horror stories, that'd be great. So you can add those to the show notes um, to this show, which is bowworld.com forward slash podcast, and select episode 34. We're on, yes. Um, and send any ideas for a new subjects or the new segment to yep. replace Techno Buster to Paul at bowworld.com. Next week's show, as I've already said, is an interview with Andy Budd, and here is. A blatant advert. This podcast was brought to you by headscape.co.uk. I'm gonna to have to put a little little taggy ding, music ding, thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, gotta do that. So there you go. Thanks for listening. Trumpets, and fanfares, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Can I finish the podcast? No. Now? <laughs> cool. Thanks for listening and talk to you again next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.